Thank you. I always enjoy public humiliation. <laughs> not, not mine, Jade's. <laughs> no, whenever, when, when somebody's singing happy birthday, that means somebody's going to get some gifts. So I don't mind you singing happy birthday to me. Hey, we've been talking about the uh, subject of identity. We started last week, and I think at the heart of identity is this thing called family. I mean, you cannot detach identity from family. The problem is, uh, today, you know, we, we're, we're wrestling with what is family? And I'm not going to take us into the culture wars. I don't think we need to go in that territory. But what is family and, and how do you become part of family? Because one of the things that it's almost universally recognized is family is changing, and some people would say family is breaking down. Other people would say, oh, family is just getting broader, and it doesn't matter what, you know, what, what part of that argument you take or you find yourself on. Everybody wants family and to be part of family. Now, sometimes we don't want to be a part of some kinds of family because we found that, you know, it, it, our experience with that was hurtful. But traditionally, what we've understood is that family, thank you, is, is something that, that you are born into, you marry into, or you are adopted into. Now, there's been all kinds of families in history. If you read the Bible, there are all kinds of families. Uh, extended families, mixed families. I mean, families that, that don't look anything like families we have today. And they were all part of the story, of God's story and, and our story. But one thing about family that makes it family, that, that whatever version of family that, that people are, are trying to establish, just back to those what we've traditionally understood about what family was, that family was something you were born into, something you marry into, or something that you were adopted into, at the heart of all those, and really, any meaningful version of family, there's some form of deep, abiding commitment. Would you say that? You know, when someone's going to adopt someone, when a, a parent and a family says, we're going to adopt someone, they're saying, we're making a huge commitment. And someone can be an orphan, and they can get married, and they suddenly find a family. And in that marriage, they produce kids, and the, and the family grows. And then those children leave that home and marry and form new families. And everybody has a family, but everybody is also looking for family. Because there's something about the families that we have that are always imperfect. My family was imperfect. The family that Kathy and I created with our kids is imperfect. And Jesus has really, really interesting things to say about family. And he, he, he actually says quite a bit if you read the New Testament. But we're going to look at one little story that maybe you've never really noticed because it's very short. But it is just full of, in, in a very pithy way, what I think would be important for us to hear about family and about identity, more importantly. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. 
And if you don't have a Bible with you, under the chair seats in front of you, there are paperback Bibles. They look like these. And we're going to be reading from page uh, 678. And again, this is one of those little stories that you'll see in the New Testament. And you read it and think, wow, that was different. And then you move on because it's so short. But it's in here, number one, because it happened. But it's also in here, it's consistent with, with the whole witness of Scripture about family and identity. And the, what we're going to read today, if you have ears to hear, is going to surprise you. And the one thing about Jesus was he was surprising then. If you got the right, you got the real Jesus, he will surprise you. In fact, oftentimes he won't just surprise you, he will shock you. And the Jesus that sometimes people preach is this really ordinary, kind of tells me what I want to hear, kind of a, a rabbi. But this Jesus you're going to meet and encounter in this story was anything but that. In fact, what he said here was so radically controversial then, and it's, and it's controversial today, that it's, it's hard to read it if you really understand it and not just go, oh, wow. So let's start reading in verse 46. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, and he's in a home, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? Pointing to his disciples, sitting there listening to him, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he's talking about family. But he says three things here. They're, 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 they're radically controversial. And, and they make a real simple point about our identity, about your identity. And the key to identity is family, and the key to family is identity. They're connected. And I said last week, uh, I heard a quote from a, uh, being a movie fan, I always remember lines from movies, and there is a movie coming out soon called Chappaquiddick, and it's about the story of, of Senator uh, Teddy Kennedy and this tragedy that happened. And in, and in the story, he's talking to his father, and he says to his father, uh, Dad, something to the effect, Dad, I believe that I'm meant to do great things, but I don't know who I am. And his dad looks at him and slaps him. Not, not really what you want to do when your kid is, you know, struggling. <laughs> Slap him. Maybe that's why he doesn't know who he is, by the way. Okay, yeah, we could look at that another time. Uh, there is a perfect little snapshot of how identity and family have this connection. And Jesus is talking about family here. But what he said was crazy controversial. And I want to explain some things to you so you can see. Because this, this 
speaks to your desire for identity and your desire for family. And identity is connected to purpose. And purpose is connected to our responsibilities and obligations. I don't know if you, you know this. I'm trying to think of who the... Victor Frankl once said, he was, a, 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 he was sort of the father of a particular field of psychology and approach to psychology. He said that the Statue of Liberty is a wonderful statement. You know, it's about freedom. But he said what the United States needs to ever achieve its its potential is it need we needed on the west coast a statue of responsibility interesting thought but family is where you find your purpose your identity excuse me family is where you find your identity and your identity is about your purpose and your purpose means you have responsibilities and so when we talk about identities we can't separate these things and and if we do, it's like vivisection, which is against the law. We're not supposed to uh, dissect things that are alive. And, and something, the, the life God gave us has to be held together in ways, and sometimes it seemed to be intention for, there to, for the life to really sustain and thrive. So in the story, Jesus says to his, to his natural family, and to everyone who was there, they're not my family. You're my family. And he pointed to his disciples, who he had no blood relation to. And it was this moment of like, <sighs> I think his disciples were surprised because they just thought, we're, you know, you're a rabbi, we're following you. I mean, you're like a really unique rabbi. We're starting to wonder, maybe you're the Messiah because they're all you know, wrestling with who Jesus was. He was just such a, uh, a powerful, immensely, you know, challenging person. And then his family, who's outside, they're not in there, okay? There's Something's going on here. And if you read the Gospels, you see his family wasn't on board with who Jesus was. Seemed like in the beginning, Mary and all of them got who Jesus was, but as time went on, they didn't buy into it. In fact, at one point, they came to Jesus, and they wanted to sort of put him under house arrest because they thought he had lost his mind because of what he was doing and saying. So his family were not his followers at this point. And Jesus says that if you're not my followers, you're not part of my family. And this would have turned upside down completely Jewish thought because the Jewish people had this amazingly durable sense of identity as we are the people of God in the world. We are the family of God because we can look back and see our fathers and forefathers who followed the one true God. He made a covenant with them. And so we know in the whole world, we're the people for sure that God chose. And if you know the story of Mary and Joseph, both of them were from this royal lineage. Like of, of all the family names in Israel that you could be born into, both Joseph, who wasn't Jesus's dad, but he raised Jesus, and Mary, his mother, both came from the most famous lineage in Israel. I mean, they had the right name. 
And in Israel, they kept saying to Jesus as he would challenge them, they said, we have Abraham as our father. And Jesus said, that doesn't matter. John the Baptist said it. He said, that is not how you enter the family. You're not part of the family because you were born into it. And that's what they thought. And so what he was doing was he was turning upside their, down their whole idea about what family is and how you get in family and then what family gives you. And I, I can't imagine that his family was not upset about this little moment. Wouldn't you? I mean, just put yourself in their place. You're outside here. You know, my mom and dad show up. And I don't have any brothers and sisters, but let's say some of my wild cousins come along. And they go, John, you know, we want to talk to you. You know, and someone says, your family's here. And I go, that's not my family. You're my family. I mean, you might go, no, nah, you're, you're confused. You're, you're 63 now. It's setting in, right? For sure, we know, you know, you need to, you need to get long-term health care insurance quick. Because that's your family. I mean, look at them. They're tall like you. They look like you. Blah, blah, blah. And they go, no, no, no. It would, it, it, would, it would be shocking to them. It would be shocking to you. It was shocking to these people. Their, their sense of how things worked. Everywhere Jesus went, he came on the scene and he upset the way people thought things worked. They thought this is the way reality is. This is this nice way we understand it. And Jesus came in and he just went and just shattered it and said, no, this is a new reality. He and he called it the kingdom of God. That when the kingdom of God came, it turned things not upside down, it turned things right side up. But if you've ever done an exercise where you have to go, you know, you're, if, you're, if your dominant hand's right hand is and you are asked to write left-handed, you know how weird that feels, and just what chicken scratch you know, your handwriting looks like. And if you practice long enough, you can become legible. But it's just, you know, your brain is wired the other way, and all your habits. Jesus constantly comes into our lives, and he's trying to turn them right side up. Where Israel had gotten to at this point was not where God led them. He had not led them to have this kind of a mentality. In fact, this was not the way that he wanted family to be defined from the very beginning. And so when Jesus is coming in, he's not, he's not like being a, a revolutionary for the sake of being revolutionary. Like when I was growing up in the 60s, people uh, were into changing the establishment and overthrowing it. But there were people who just said, I don't want to make it better. I just want to burn it down. They're just anarchy. We just want, you know, just chaos. And people think Jesus was some sort of, like, moral, spiritual, social anarchist. And there literally are serious theories written, books written about that. But Jesus wasn't doing that. Because they looked at this and they thought, that's all he's doing. He wasn't. Because they didn't have ears to really hear what he was trying to do. So... Jesus, the second thing he says is, is, this isn't my family, but he says there's only two families in the world. He says, uh, who is my mother and who are my brothers? In other words, who is my family? These people. He pointed to these disciples. He was in some kind of a building or a home. 
And then outside, he said, they're not. So he, he said, in, out. Now, that wasn't a controversial idea. The Jewish people knew, we're in, everybody else is out. But suddenly Jesus is coming along and going, no, 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 no. You think you're in because of X, Y, Z. That is not the criteria anymore. In fact, it never was and, and it, it properly understood. Jesus didn't change the criteria for becoming part of the family of God. He clarified it and he embodied it. And he fulfilled it. And he, and he still does it today. But religion, they, were, they had slipped into religion. Now, this is the scary thing about faith and religion. Because faith and religion are really different. Religious systems have certain characteristics, and faith has a completely different set of characteristics. And it's, and it's real simple. And I, I'm going to explain something to you in a second. And it, you just go, oh, the, the light's going to go on. And you go, wow, that is simple. That really is simple. So it wasn't controversial that someone was in and someone was out. What was controversial was who was in and who was out and how you figured out who was in and who was out. Their heritage, the Jewish people's heritage, like I said earlier, gave them an identity because they were a family. It gave them an identity. God made them his family, which gave them an identity, a purpose, and a set of responsibilities. And they were living it out, but they lost their way about how you become the family of God and the people of God and the covenant with God. And Jesus was, was constantly just getting pushback from every direction, especially from the religious leaders, the people who were in charge of the system, who had lost their way. Jesus said to them, you're blind shepherds. See, they were shepherds. They were people God had put in the position they were in, and they had become blind. And I, I want you to get this. It is so easy for us to be blind. Good people can become blinded easily. Jesus' contemporaries had become blinded. And so when Jesus came along, he was trying to open their eyes. You know, the, one of the, one of the uh, titles of Jesus is that I'm the light of the world. That was a pretty bold statement. But he's trying to illuminate their understanding of reality and, and clarify things for them. Uh, he threw them into confusion First, by saying you're not part of God's family, his family, okay? And I think he surprised the people who were his disciples. But here's the thing. Jesus said, I'm, and he didn't use this word here, but what he said was, the way you go from outside the family into the family is through the door, and I'm the door. Because if you look at this passage here, he says, uh, who are my family, pointing to his disciples, those who followed him, not followed the Jewish teachings of the covenant that was focused on the temple, but they were following him. He said, that is the door in, me. Follow me. He wasn't saying, if you, if you measure up by doing enough good things that God says, then that's what makes you part of the family. So when you read this, in fact, this is an, there's an explicit back and forth between the Jewish people who thought that the covenant was based on 
our ability to do what God wants, which gets us into his favor. And there was a situation where Jesus had just done a miracle. It's in, in the sixth chapter of John. And in this story, he, he, he performs this miracle that everyone knew was a miracle that was a sign that the Messiah was there, where he multiplied food and he, and he fed thousands and thousands of people. And then he went across the, from one side of the Sea of Galilee to another side, and all the people followed him. And, but the thing was, they just wanted another meal. And Jesus said, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that leads to eternal life. In other words, that, that makes life work. And, and they go, and they, they ask a logical question. Because the way they thought was, if we do what God wants, we do the right things, then God is happy and we're covenant people then. Because they, they come into this idea of works, in a sense, is the uh, essence of, of how you please God. You do the right things. And it's kind of like a, you do enough right things and, and it balances things out and you're in good stead with God. And Jesus said to them, you say, what must we do to do the works of God? And he gave them this very like eye-opening answer. He said, believe on him who he sent. Believe in me. In other words, what I'm going to do is going to satisfy all of God's requirements and that my perfect life is going to be given to you as a gift, grace. And through what I do and through my life, you can come into this covenant relationship with God not through the temple anymore, not through sacrificing animals, not through any of the covenant stipulations. I am the fulfillment of that covenant. And so it's obsolete. I want you to come to me. And uh, at that point, a lot of people just said, you know, <laughs> we're not buying it. And they left. And this is one of many times where people just couldn't buy into the fact that you can come into the family of God just by what Jesus did and who he was. Because there's, there's, Jesus had this amazingly, or Matthew had this amazingly clever way of telling this narrative that reinforces that point. But the exclusivity of the gospel, meaning that, that the gospel says that the only way to God is through this person, Jesus. It sounds so narrow and so exclusive. But what the gospel actually does is it opens up the possibility of being the family of God to everybody. In fact, look at the passage there. It says, who are my, uh, who's my mother and brothers? Who are my family? Pointing to his disciples. Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever, see that word? Whoever believes in me. Whoever follows me, that's family. All, suddenly, now what is it about identity? Identity is about our status, who we are. When you begin to follow Jesus, God gives you a completely different status. You have a new status. In fact, you have a new nature, a new spiritual nature. You have a, a whole new relationship with God that had nothing to do with what you do other than you believe and trust in what Jesus did and who he was. That's what he's saying here. I mean, the gospel is in this. And what it does is it says... This conception that, that earning and what, the, 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 what we talked about last week is just the struggle we all feel that I'm not enough. 
That is, that is like one of the, the most concrete summary statements of the existence of every person on the face of the earth is everyone wrestles with this sense, I'm not enough. And if that's true about me, how am I going to measure up to God and what he wants? I mean, he says, the, the, Jesus was asked, what does God really want out of us? And he said, there's two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every ounce you have. Yeah, I don't do that. Okay, second one. Is there like a little easier one? Probably not. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I'm, I'm done. Stick a fork in me. There's no way I'm keeping either of those. So Jesus came along and kept them for us and then died for our failures to fulfill every requirement that God would ever have on anybody. And, and it says, if you believe in me, it isn't like you just get whitewashed. The power of the life of Jesus is such that it, if you follow him, it begins to change you. Now, here's the thing about the difference between religion and faith is religion is a divisive force everywhere it is because religion is about measuring people and measuring up. And it forces people into this place of performance that ends up causing them to be proud of themselves and look down at other people. And as soon as that enters into the equation where I feel like I'm better than somebody else, all hell breaks loose. That, that's the root of every problem in our society. And the gospel is the only thing because it's a gift that undermines that performance pride that we get, that religion stirs up in us. And people who are religious constantly are looking down at other people and feeling like they don't measure up, and I do because I keep these rules. But we don't understand the rules, how demanding they are. Loving your neighbors yourself. I mean, let's just take God out of the equation. Try to love your neighbors yourself without ever failing. I can do that about 15 seconds a day. Unless someone's living inside me that inspires me and loves me the way I am with all my flaws and idiosyncrasies and failures, suddenly it's a game changer. Because when I'm loved like that, I know what that feels like. And I'm honest about where I'm at and who I am. And I see myself in this different light and suddenly I see my neighbor is different. Suddenly I think, wow, they're like me. I, I can love them the way I'm being loved. Plus, I'm, the love that I'm experiencing becomes the source that I can lean on. But in religion, it's just up to you. And religions, most of the time, really have the rules down pretty good. I mean, every religion in the world has the golden rule in it. And we all say, if we just followed that, it would be a much better place. The truth is, the Ten Commandments are broken up into two parts. There's four commandments that relate to our relationship with God, and there's six that relate to people, how we treat people. The first four are about idolatry. Don't have any other idols but God. So there's one God, you're supposed to worship him. If you worship anything else, 
That's what leads to all the problems in the second six. Because idolatry, if you don't get idolatry right, you will have injustice. All the last six commandments are about injustice. So if you don't get worshiping God right, you're going to be unjust in some way. And it won't be a little way. It will always be a big way. Because even the last commandment about coveting, you know what coveting does? That coveting is what drives our nations. And a lot of bad stuff comes out of coveting. It's like, I don't have enough. I want more. And not only do I want more, I want what you have. There's a, there's a famous line in a movie right now where uh, a character asks this historical figure, uh, J. Uh, J. Paul Getty, uh, you have a lot of money, you know, uh, can't you help with this, you know, in this plot? Uh, and he says, uh, I don't have enough. And, and the guy goes, how much is enough? He goes, more. And, you know, J. Paul Getty was at one point was the richest person in the world. And, and, he, and he's actually, he actually said that. It's not just a movie line. Someone who's the richest person in the world said, how much is, is enough? More. Really? That's greed. And that creates all kinds of messed up things. But the first commandment says, no other gods but God. But when you're greedy, you want more, and that's what your God is. So if you settle the God part, it, fixes the, it's, it, it takes you a long ways towards the, dealing with the injustice part. These things, all, like they, they, they all interlock perfectly. But faith, when you follow Jesus, it's, it's like this. This is, this is how, you, how you get this identity as a child of God. It's just like being naturalized into our nation. People who grow up in another country, who live under another government, here's, here's what they have to say when they come. This is the vow that they, when they go through the naturalization process at the very end. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign state, uh, excuse me, potentate, prince, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. Doesn't it sound like a lawyer wrote this? Sorry. If you're a lawyer here, I apologize for that little comment. <laughs> that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States against all enemies. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. That's the word here. Allegiance, loyalty. To the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed services of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. So what the citizenship, the citizenship oath is, it's an oath of loyalty. And loyalty is what determines allegiance. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying, will you renounce all other loyalties and all other systems and all other ways and follow me? And if you do, you get a new status, you get a new identity. And then that's the game changer. And so Jesus says, anybody despite where you've been you could have, you could we have plenty of citizens in the United States who came from countries that we've been at war with and they are 
wonderful citizens, and they've done amazing things in our country. And it's a picture of the same, the way that the kingdom is entered, the way that the family of God is entered, the way that you get a new identity. Jesus is asking you about your loyalty, who you're going to follow, who gets the last word, who do you depend on, who do you look to when push comes to shove, when, you're, when, when your social group wants to do this and presses you, or you feel the press of it, where do you follow? Now, we don't all do it perfectly. And here's the, here's the thing about this, this loyalty thing. Don't confuse membership with maturity. This is what we do in the church a lot of times. A freshly naturalized citizen is probably going to struggle with the language if they grew up in a, speaking a foreign language. They're probably going to struggle with our language. But does, if, they've, if they've sworn allegiance, are they a citizen? That's, that's her question. Yes. Okay. Let's say they struggle with some of our customs because they're accustomed to something else. And maybe, you know, they find, uh, the, 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 let's say they come from south of the border and they find our Taco Bell not the highest form of Mexican food that they've ever encountered. And maybe they're a little snooty about it. And maybe, you know, you've got some stock in Taco Bell and you don't appreciate that. But does that not make them a citizen? There's all kinds of things about maturity that don't have anything to do with membership. Because membership is a gift. But it's about swearing allegiance. And we hope over time they're going to come to love who we are as the best of who we are as a country. Right? We hope, because that everything works better when everyone loves the best ideas that we have as a country and the, and, the, and the best we're trying to be. That's what Jesus was saying in this to all these people. He's saying, I'm the linchpin, I'm the door, I'm the way and the truth and the life. All those statements that you know, some of us are familiar with that made Jesus exclusive. But the exclusivity doesn't, if it's properly followed, doesn't produce the kind of pride and schism and all the stuff that happens with religion. But it demands everything. So to be part of the family, to get a new status, you, 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 you surrender everything. So if this is our identity, what I want to just look at one application of this, because this means... We're family. This means we're family. Our church is getting slowly but surely more and more diverse. We don't look like each other ethnically. There's a big spread of age here. Uh, socioeconomically, it's not quite as wide, but more apartments that are built down the street, the more that'll change. And most churches are like that. Like Vineyard Columbus is incredibly diverse. I don't know. I think there's 100 plus languages that, that, that people speak in one church. But if it means we're family, family means brothers and sisters. It means same dad. Household. In fact, that's one of the words that, that, that's used for the church. It's the household of God. And that was the most common word for a, a family in 
New Testament times, households. And so the, the, the early Christians, when they became committed to Jesus and began to follow him, they started having this sense of, my identity has changed. Here's the thing. This is the, the blind spot we have as Americans, and I, I, I talk about this all the time, and you know, forgive me if I, I keep, I'm, I'm turning the screw you know, a little deeper here, but to be a beloved child of God, which we talked about last week, how many of you think that's a pretty cool deal, right? Seriously, that God loves you, he's value, you're valuable to him, period. Isn't that a cool deal? But it implies, you know, father and family. It implies we're, we are brothers and sisters. But most of us as Americans just conceive of that beloved child of God as if I'm just sitting in daddy's lap. And it's just me and daddy. And it's never just me and daddy. I mean, you know, my kids are big enough now that that's all that could fit in my lap is one kid at a time. But there was a time where I could get all three kids in my lap. And let me tell you, God, your father, can hold all of us in his lap at the same time. And one of the most pressing things that we, if we're going to get our identity right, is we have to move into this thing that we are family. And, and I'm, I've prayed about this all week, and I've, I've pondered this. I was out of town, and so I had some time, dead time, and I thought about this. I thought, I'm saying this to everybody here. What does it say to me? And out of that reflection, I'm, I'm one of the most independent people in Columbus. I'm less so than I used to be, but all of us are being challenged. If we're going to embrace our identity, part of our identity is family. It is family. And how many of you know, sometimes family is inconvenient? Right? Sometimes family is embarrassing. And, you know, you can think of lots of verbs and adverbs and adjectives to, to place around family, to modify it, that will fit what you've experienced. And the, and the church and the people of God are no different. But when you're family, it's a game changer. You're not just a customer. You're not just a drive-by. You're not all these things God says you would never be satisfied if that's what you were. And that's never been my purpose. And one of the things that Jesus, that the Jewish people knew is that God made, the, the first people he made, the story tells us, he created a family. And then the family fractured. And everything he's done, if you read the Old Testament, everything he's done from then to now is to try to rebuild family. To reconnect families. And, and, and Shanna and I were talking. Shanna uh, used to be on our worship team, and she's just hanging out here today. She lives in campus and goes to a church there. But we were talking about a, a, a mutual friend of ours who's Japanese, and she was just saying, it's so amazing how when he thinks about decisions he has to make, he, the first thing he thinks about is, how is this going to affect my friends and family? That's the first thing. It's not, how is this going to affect me? He stops and says, how is this going to affect where I work and my family? That is much closer to this than we are as Americans. And is it possible 
that part of our struggle to find the abundant life, and, 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 and I say it is, to find the abundant life that the beloved children of God are supposed to experience is because our blind spot with respect to being family. That we have this sense of, of being me and God, this very individualistic understanding of faith that I, I have identity, and I, but I struggle to hold on to that. How many of you struggle to hold on to your identity as children of God? I believe it's because, part of it's because we don't get that we're family and that we can't ever get our full identity by ourselves. We get it realized and revealed and valued and challenged and strengthened only in context of family. And Jesus says, all the, the challenges that everyone has in trying to find a family that works, he says, if you follow me and you do this thing where you pledge allegiance to me, you pledge your complete loyalty to me and follow me, I will make you part of a family. And that family will give you a place to belong. It will give you a place for your gifts to shine because you're necessary. It will give you a safe place. It will, gi it will give you a place where people will have your back. It, 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 will, it will be a game changer. Now, most of the time, church isn't like that. And I think the biggest obstacle to it is simply this idea that we don't realize we are family. And we don't try to live that way. Now, I want to read one passage to you. We're going to, you know, there's, there's, there's two questions we have to answer when we say we're family. How do we relate to the family? And how do we relate to people outside the family? And so the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about that one. I just want to say one more thing about family is, I think, and this is a phrase you've heard me say a lot, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and then I want to read a passage and show you what it looks like. Being family means you do life together. Like a zipper. You do life together. You don't have a life, and then once in a while you connect with your family. Because if you're, if you're alive, you are in a family, whether you connect very well with them, but it's so much better if you're a part of that family. So here's, here's a passage, it's a very familiar passage. I'll read this, and then we'll, we're just going to close in a second. In, in the early chapters of Acts, it describes how the church started. And in fact, there was a, a famous festival in Israel called Pentecost, and, and Peter preached this sermon when thousands of pilgrims are gathered, Jewish people from all over the world. Dozens of countries had come to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit moved powerfully on the believers. And then uh, all these people were amazed by what was going on with these Christians. And they heard them praising God, and it was like very attractive. And everyone like rushed into this some huge area in the temple, probably. And Peter preached this message. And at the end of his message, he the, the people said, after he 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 basically said, you know, Jesus is the Messiah we were all looking for, and you killed him. And uh, yet God made him Christ to fulfill the law. And if you believe in him, you'll be saved. But you have to be baptized and believe in him. And baptism was a, 
was a, uh, a picture, well, it, it functioned a lot of ways, but it was a picture of ending one life and starting a new life. It was burial. So my old life is being buried, loyalty, renounce all old commitments, enter into a whole new commitment to a person, Jesus, not a system, not the Constitution, not laws, to a person, Jesus, that everybody is committing themselves to. And so Peter said, if you do that, he'll give you the Holy Spirit like you saw him give us. And it says thousands of people at that point. The church went from just a couple of hundred people to thousands of people like that. And here's what it says they immediately did. Now, remember, doing life together. It's very simple. We all have a life. The question is, are we going to do life together in a different way than we have been? And I'm going to suggest over the next few weeks what that looks like. But I want to give you a picture of what they did. It says, uh, those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a picture of people doing their life together. And they ate together. They rested together. They worked together. They recreated together. They served other people and blessed the community together. I mean, all the rhythms of our lives, they allowed their lives to be intertwined together to do that together. But what that meant was they had to have this sense of identity that was different because they already had all these rhythms of life that they were doing with other people who were already there. And so th- this was, this was pro- quite a change for them. And we'll see, you'll see this next week. That didn't mean suddenly they said, we have nothing to do with our birth family and our old community. Because what they did was they formed this new community and they opened their lives up to all those people. And I'm sure it was a, you know, it was a tumultuous sort of season of trying to figure out how this all works. But they didn't stop doing life. They just did it together with other believers And then they formed this thing that was so different. Because the context of this story is there's people from every part of the world there. Tribal people from all over the place who come to this place, they all become followers of Jesus, and suddenly they ignore their tribal loyalties and start helping people outside their tribe. Selling possessions because they saw a need Why? Because they saw a brother or sister in need. And they became this household. Because that's what, you know, if you have family, I don't have any brothers and sisters, but, you know, Kathy has four brothers, and our families have helped each other at different times when when family members have need. And we, we still do that when we're called on. 
But we don't tend to do that in the church as much. Have you ever noticed that? It's sad. It's really sad. Now, there's been seasons in our church where that happens. I mean, it does happen, but I mean, it doesn't happen as a way of life. Because our identity is we're a beloved child of God, but we're really like a beloved child of God that's more like an orphan. That's American Christians. We're really orphans. We don't have a family. Now, I know you guys say, well, you know, look at us. We're sitting here listening to you drone on and on and on. I mean, we're doing something right. And I go, yeah, but is this life together just an event on a weekend? I think for and, and that's what we've come to think. And I think we don't get our identity then. And I told you, Jesus, Jesus is upsetting because he's disturbing my life, my nice life. My kids are finally out of the house. You know, they're all paying their own bills. They make more money than me. It's nice. I don't worry about them. And all of a sudden, me and Kathy have all this time, and the Lord just keeps saying to me, it's time to connect deeper with other people. And I go, well, but Lord, I like to watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy's always telling me, you watch it too much. And I'm realizing, I watch it when I should be connecting. And I pondered this for, you know, a while. But this last week, being alone, it made me really think. this This is something I feel like, I can feel it physically. This is something... I, I, I'm made for and I want. And I want to ask you, we're going to take communion now, just to close. And, you know, the communion table, if, if the folks who are going to come give the elements out, just come up. The communion table says the same thing, if you, if you can see it. Who do you tend to eat meals with the most often? Family. Jesus chose a meal as the symbol of the covenant relationship God has with us. And the meal is a picture of his body and his blood, the elements of the covenant, the person of Jesus. But it's shared by people. And when they take it, it changes their identity. Makes them different. And people in that early church were very different. They were very, do you understand how different they were and how awkward that all must have been for them to, to interact? Because birds of a feather flock together. But if you meet Jesus, he's creating a whole different kind of flock that looks really different than the flock you naturally are attracted to or even you were born into. Because it has Straight people and gay people has black people and white people, has old people and young people, has poor people and rich people, has people who are really moral and and pretty stable lives and has people whose lives are anything but that. And I'm telling you, I I, I joked with the class I was teaching this morning, when I became a Christian, my friends around me thought I was, one of my friends came up who, who discipled me, he's a doctor now, and he said, he came up here to, he was thinking about an internship here at a local hospital, and we had dinner with him, and he said, John, you, in, in, in our group, you are the last person we thought would even stay saved. 
much less become a pastor, you know, and, and have anything that looks like a responsible life. I'm not exaggerating you, 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 if you think millennials are irresponsible, I was like, the, I was the original millennial, right? I surfed and partied and skipped college and, and I had scholarship offers, everything, you know, I just, I, I was just squandering everything. And I met Jesus, and it started this change that's still going on. I'm still a work in progress, and all of us are. But all of a sudden, I had these connections with people that were so different than me, it blew my mind. From my little middle-class suburb, all of a sudden, I had uh, African-American friends, real close friends who were believers. And, and people, uh, Latinos, like uh, Angelo Gonzalez, this friend of mine who lives down in Texas. All these people. It's, it's because of Jesus. And I want to ask you, as you take these elements today, I want, we're going we're gonna to just pray and then wait a moment. What is the Lord speaking to you about your identity as, as family and how you can begin to live that out together? I'm not going to suggest anything this week other than I'm learning I can ask Jesus questions and he'll speak to me. He will speak to you. He might not speak to you in this moment when you pray this prayer, but over the course of the next few minutes, hours, days, and weeks, you're going to hear him speak to you about family and about what it means for you to move more into doing life together with the family. Okay? And you have to accept it's going to be uncomfortable. Every good thing you have ever experienced in your life began with feeling awkward. When the first time I kissed Kathy was one of the most amazing moments in my life. But I can't tell you how awkward it was for me to try to kind of get to know her in the beginning. All that awkwardness and then, oh, it was so wonderful. Everything is like that. This is like this. The Lord's going to take you on an adventure. He's taking us on an adventure. I don't know if you can feel it. There's a witness of the Spirit here that he is witnessing I'm in this. I want to make you a family that looks like nothing you've ever believed was possible. And your part in it is going to be so important. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray. And then you guys come take the elements. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you shocked those people back in that day when you said that your followers were your family. We thank you you've embraced each of us as your family. And Lord, as your family, we just want to put before you a question before we take communion. What does it mean for me to do life together with my family? Lord, we ask you to speak to us in just simple, practical ways. What's What's the first step you want me to take in learning to do life together in a more meaningful way with my family here, with my brothers and sisters?
So, Lord, as we come take these elements, your, your, this bread and this wine that you said represent your broken body and shed blood for us, that through your broken body and shed blood, we, we come into a, a new identity as children of God through you. But if you hadn't done this, it wouldn't happen. And we thank you for that. We thank you for what you did. And Lord, we thank you also that, that you bring us together as a family now. And we, we just come and take these elements and say, Lord, if you don't give us grace to do what you're showing us, we're not going to be able to do it. So we pray for the release of grace as we